This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Father, again, we thank you tonight, and Lord, I ask for your blessing on this uh, time of study. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and pray, and uh, Lord, to study your word. As always, Lord, we look to you and ask that you grant understanding. Lord, uh, show us how these things that were written uh, so long ago are relevant to uh, our, our lives. Show us how your truth is, is uh, applicable to us and work it out in us by the power of your Spirit. For your glory we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, if you would, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6. Last chapter. (laughs) 1 Timothy. Coming, drawing near the end here of this little book. Just want to look at the first couple verses tonight mainly. Um, Probably won't make it any further than that. Um, and just like so much of this book, this is uh, where the rubber meets the road um, data before us here as far as Christianity. Now we've, we've talked, for example, the past, uh, in the course of the past few studies um, how, how we are to uh, relate to one another within the church, um, Paul lays out instructions here for Timothy for the church as far as honoring different different uh, groups of individuals. For example, chapter 5, verse 1, uh, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as brothers. So he's telling Timothy, you treat the older men as fathers, you treat the younger men as brothers. Verse 2, you treat the older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. And then he goes into um, instruction on how to care for widows, those who are truly destitute. You, And he starts out again with the word honor. You honor, honor widows who are widows indeed. Verse 17, he begins to instruct Timothy on uh, how to uh, how to relate, how to deal with the elders in the church. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So you had in verse uh, verse 3, honor widows. Here he says uh, of the uh, elders, those um, those who labor in the Word and doctrine, those who rule well, he says, are to be counted worthy of double honor. And then now tonight... In chapter 6, he talks about slaves honoring their masters. Here he uses the phrase, um, count their own masters worthy of all honor. Let me read verse uh, 1 and 2. Let as many bondservants, the word there, by the way, is slaves. It's the, uh, the Greek word doulos, slaves. Let as many slaves as are under the yoke, Count their own masters worthy of all honor, 
so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. Okay, so let me start with a, with a question here. Uh, because I'm gonna I'm gonna relate this to uh, and I think properly so I think this this is applicable. I'm gonna relate this to employers and employees or can turn that around employees employer relationships. So let me start with a question here. Why do you go to work? Those those of you that work or or that have worked, why do you go to work? To eat. <laughs> What was that? For wages? Let's just be blunt. Money. Okay? <laughs> wages is good. <clears throat> so wages or money to eat, which is basically the same thing. In other words, you gotta you gotta make money so that you can eat, right? Alright. For the Christian, uh that's penultimate. That's that's a secondary uh, money to eat. Those are secondary issues. Primary is to glorify God. It's always the case for the Christian. At least if our if our motives are pure, if we're on the right track, that's always the bottom line for the glory of God. But now this this is. Uh, Essential here that we get this because this is really what work is all about. This is what I'm saying. It's not. It's not a. Uh, let me let me say it this way. Let me put it in a negative form. It's not a a necessary evil. That's that's the way that we tend to think about work. Well, it's it's you know like paying taxes, right? It's it's a necessary evil. No. Work's not a necessary evil. You know, if you've, if you've been sitting in on the uh, class on uh, biblical manhood and womanhood, we, uh, we've been looking the past several weeks at the fact that, or the past couple weeks probably, at the fact that the, the roles of headship for man and the role of submission or the role of helper, to use the biblical term there, um, for, a wom- for a woman... Are God ordained, and we were created with those distinctions. It's not the result of the fall; it is the product of creation. Well, um, look with me for just a moment over Genesis uh, chapter one, chapter two, because the same is true about work. And let me give you a. Uh, couple of passages here. First of all, it's, it's uh, I would say hinted at in verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, like as I said there, I think work is implied or it's hinted at. God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion. Dominion, which I, I think implies uh, work, doing something, especially since it's, it's in the image of God. God is active. He's, he's, uh, he's not uh, static. God is always active. Remember one time they, they uh, criticized Jesus for working on the Sabbath, and Jesus said, My Father works hitherto, and I work. Now, that's, that's an interesting statement. And, it, and it's something to uh, uh, consider, especially in light of, of this subject. My Father, what He's saying is, My Father always works. God is always, just, just to kind of put it in the, uh, the way we normally say it, uh, God is moving. And I've, I've told, said to people before, of course I've been guilty of saying that myself, but you know, people talk about having a, uh, a move of God, and I know, I know what they mean, but well, I've, I've heard people uh, talk about a, a, uh, a service, you know, where God is really moving. Or let's, let's, uh, let's pray, let's pray, let's do this, let's do that, until God moves. Well, Again, and I appreciate that. I mean, I know what they're talking about. I'm not trying to be overly critical here. But just just to make the point, if God was ever not moving, (laughs) this whole thing would just evaporate, including us. He's always working. He's always sustaining things. He, he, He didn't stop. And He created us in His image and gave us dominion. He created man to work. Over in chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, uh, it is stated explicitly rather than implied. Chapter 2, verse uh, 15, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Or, uh, that word tend can be translated cultivate. The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate or tend and keep it. This is pre-fall. Work is not a result of the fall. Um, the curse in, in, entails the, uh, the you know the, the, the laborious type of, uh, of uh, work, or you might say, uh, in a sense, being defeated by it. You know, sometimes. Sometimes workers labor and toil, and they, uh, and of course, the things like the weeds that have to be pulled, but farmers labor and toil, and sometimes for nothing in the end. You know, they lose the whole crop. Now, that's, that's the kind of thing that's the result of the fall, or the getting, having to pull up the weeds, or, or, or getting the, you know, your, your hands um, torn with thorns or whatever. Those kinds of things are the result of the fall, but not the work itself. The work itself... It's part of original creation. God created man to work. Um, so we are to work for the glory of God. I mean, this is part of bearing God's image. God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And then you see the first thing that He gives him to do is tend the garden. Tend it and keep it. So this, this is a way, in other words, this work is, is a way of, of uh, displaying, putting on display 
uh, God's image. It's a way of being like God. Being productive is a way of being like God. And uh, that's one reason I like to use the... uh, when we talk about being made in the image of God and what does that mean, um, I think creativity is uh, one of the key things that sets us apart from animals. I was listening to the news, uh, I guess it was yesterday, on the radio, <laughs> and they were talking about this uh, chimpanzee that died over at Chimp Haven, which... Uh, no, don't misunderstand me. I mean, I'm not happy about that. I like animals. <laughs> and I've been out to Chimp Haven, as a matter of fact, and looked at the chimps and enjoyed it. But uh, they were talking about how, uh, I'm not sure exactly what they did, <laughs> but they were talking about how they let the other chimps say goodbye. The lady said that's very important. It's important that they have that time to grieve and, and this and that. Um as if they were talking about human beings. And I, I can almost guarantee you, um, at least maybe given a day or so, those rest of those chimps will never know that one's ever existed. Uh, they're not people. And they do a lot of fascinating things, and they're very smart, but they don't have the kind of creativity. They, they, they can't produce like human beings. Production, creativity is part of being created in the image of God. Work um, is part of, work in this sense, is part of bearing the image of God. Now, I know animals work uh, some, to some degree, and some of them them are pretty pretty smart. You can buy dogs. We used to have a blue healer, and, uh, you know, they just do that automatically. They heal cattle. It's amazing. And God's built that into them. So animals work somewhat, but they, but they still lack the creativity. I've never known one to start a business um, or, or anything like that. You know, they'll heal cattle and hunt. I got a friend up in Arkansas who uh, does who hunts wild hogs, and uh, he moved up there in the wilderness, uh, and literally living off the land and stuff when they first went up there, and no electricity. The, the water comes out of an artesian well out of the ground. Uh, but anyway, he got him some dogs, and he started hog, hog hunting, and and uh, they used yellow blackmouth curs up there. And uh, he found one of these old guys up in the mountains there, and and uh, you know they've been doing this a long time. And he asked him, "Tell me what I need to do to train my dogs. I want I want to make them good hunting dogs. Tell me what I need to do." And the old man said, "If you need to train them, they ain't good dogs." <laughs> Because they do it naturally, and uh, the blue, the healers are that way too. It just comes natural. So animals work some and all, but they but they lack the creativity. Like I say, they're not they're not starting businesses, they're not publishing newspapers and that kind of thing. Uh, human beings do because we're created in the image of God. So work work is essential, uh, number one, and it's and it's for the glory of God. And this is part of what uh, I think the the main thing that Paul's putting across here. Timothy, let me get back in 1 Timothy 6 here. So now, interestingly here, because this is written in the first century and he's writing to the, to the uh, uh, Judeo and Roman culture here, he's, he's addressing slaves and masters. Verse, verse 1, chapter 6, Let as many slaves 
as are under the yoke. Uh, you know, yoke is the instrument that they put on the neck of an, of an ox and, uh, or, or uh, cattle that are pulling a plow or something. So the idea here is being uh, is labor. As many slaves as are under the yoke, let them count their own masters. It's a strong word there, despot. Uh, the idea of, of, of sovereignty is somebody that's in control over you. So that's why one reason I think this is definitely talking about a slave. The word doulos uh, can refer to just a like a free servant, somebody who does it willingly, but uh, but it seems to imply here strongly that, he, that he's talking about slaves, slaves and masters, despots. Let as many slaves as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. That's interesting, isn't it? Think about that. You're addressing slaves and saying, honor your masters. Now, if you were a slave, that's probably not, you know, you, you, you get a letter from the Apostle Paul or, or here you hear... Uh, Timothy, read this letter that that came from the Apostle Paul, and and you get you come to a part. Attention, slaves! What you're probably wanting to hear is, <laughs> you're free. You know, don't 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 do it. What your master says, um, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You're in Christ. You're free now. But no, Paul says, count your masters worthy of all honor. Wherever you are in life, you know, that's where the gospel finds you. That's where it, it, it begins to teach you how to, how to live. So slaves, under the yoke, count, count your own masters worthy of all honor. Why? Why do that? So that the name of God and the doctrine may not be blasphemed. That's, that's an interesting statement. I, I, don't think there's, I don't think there's ever and let me emphasize the word think there, but I, but I don't think there's ever a legitimate type of rebellion. I just don't seem to find that in in the uh, in the scripture. Rebellion seems to be categorically, in every instance, wrong. Wrong. That's not to say that uh, you know we we all have done wrong things, and and by God's grace, sometimes good things get worked out of that. Uh, the United States of America exists today because of rebellion, and yet I would say. Uh, this is, as it's often called, probably the way this nation is set up is probably the greatest uh, man-made experiment uh, in the history of the world. You know, this this type of government, this setup, and it's designed for, uh, at least supposedly, it's designed for uh, freedom, individual freedom, and and uh, equality, pursuit of happiness, and so forth. But Facts remain, it was born out of rebellion. And there were Christian men 
uh, like John Wesley was one who, who uh, spoke out against um, the revolution for that reason. Because rebellion is a bad thing. This is what Paul is, is saying here in this situation. Don't rebel. Count them worthy of honor so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. That, that's what's on the line. The glory of God. The name of God. In other words, if, if you're a, an unfaithful slave, or, or let's bring it into our, our time and our culture, if you're an unfaithful employee, what's on the line is God's name. I mean, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian and you're an unfaithful employee, what's at stake is God's name and the doctrine. The whole Christian teaching, faith, His teaching, the way the New King James words it. So God and His teaching, God and the doctrine. And as I've mentioned before, all the way through here, Paul is putting emphasis on the doctrine, good doctrine, sound doctrine, sound words, uh, all, all the way through here. And he's saying all that's at stake. In other words, we, we can say one thing, but if we do another, it undermines what we say. So he's, he's saying, be a faithful slave, count your masters worthy of honor, uh, so that it doesn't undermine your profession. So that God is, instead of God being um, dishonored, He is glorified. Because they see your faithfulness in Instead of God being blasphemed, He is glorified. And then in verse 2, He said, And those who have believing masters, that's again interesting, isn't it? Because you, you, you would automatically probably tend to think, well, wait a minute, if the, if the master's a believer and the slave's a believer, then surely what we should have there is, is an end to slavery. Now, let me say this, because I do think, I, I have heard people say, or, or try to uh, um, defend slavery and, and uh, use passages such as this one, and I don't want to be mistaken uh, for doing that. That's not what I'm doing, because I, because I, do, I do think this, although, although something may not be inherently wrong, it can still be wrong in a given situation. And uh, what, what is, for example, what, what is the golden rule? Hmm? As you'd have them to do unto you. Yeah, exactly. So, if, if I were a slave owner, seems like to me I would have to ask that question, um, would I want to be a slave? And then treat them accordingly. I think, I think there are many times that uh, something may be, let's just say legal, uh, le- legitimate to some extent, maybe legal, um, but... <clears throat> It can still be trumped by love. You, you, you may have a right, maybe, to have a slave, um, but 
It may not be the loving thing to do. And boy, there's just all kinds of things we could apply that to, <laughs> that we do day in and day out. I may have a right to be mad and throw a fit, but that may not be the best thing to do in a given situation. In fact, it's probably not, uh, because the wrath of man uh, doesn't produce the righteousness of God. So, some things, even though they're not inherently wrong, uh, love takes care of them, does away with them. And I think that's what happened eventually. <clears throat> Paul's not, not an abolitionist, and he's not demanding um, that slavery end here, but history tells us that where the Christian, Christian influence uh, infiltrates uh, cultures, uh, slavery does, in time, go away. And uh, at least that's been the case in, in uh, uh, situations like here in America and, and in England uh, and even in the, uh, in the Roman culture later when Christianity uh, took hold. So, and I think that's why, because of the golden rule. You, you find people don't want to be slaves, and so they, they wind up uh, not having slaves. But at any rate, that's, that's not what he's, what, he's, uh, what he's doing here. He's not calling for the end of slavery. He's just telling these people, where you are, you need to glorify God. Whatever station of life that you're in, if you're a, if you're a master, then here's what you do um, in the current situation you're in. You treat your slaves right. You treat them well. If you, and especially if you're a Christian and they're a Christian, you treat them like a brother. And if you're a slave, then you give all honor to your master so that God's name and His doctrine is not blasphemed. And if your master is a believing master, if he's also a believer, verse 2, he says, don't despise him. Those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. They're, they're, Paul's either heard of a problem going on here or he's anticipating one where you've got the master is a believer and the slave is a believer. And so the slave thinks, well, you know what? We're all one in Christ. We're all brothers. And I don't have to do what he tells me to do. He's no better than I am. No, Paul says, if you have believing masters, don't despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers. He's saying you, you, you still serve them as well because a believer is being benefited by your service. So you serve them. Uh, because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. So wherever you're at, as an employer or as an employee, the bottom line is this. Glorify the Lord in what you do. Glorify God. You work. Work's not an option. Um, I was going to take you to a few passages, but we're really out of time here, just to kind of, uh, uh, let me just give you a couple quickly, and, and uh, one that came to my mind thinking about this, of course, out of Ecclesiastes, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, so, so you want to 
put everything that you, you've got into it, again, for God's glory. Um, in Ephesians 4.28, uh, Paul is uh, uh, rebuking a thief here, but uh, nevertheless, he, he lays down a principle for all of us. Ephesians 4.28, Let him who stole steal no longer, but... Now, here's the part that whether you steal or not, this applies to all of us. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. So there's another secondary purpose, but... um, of extreme importance. Why why do we work? Well, number one, to glorify God. Secondly, for the wages, as has been mentioned. Why do, but we could take that a little further. Why do we receive wages? Well, we know we got to pay the light bill, we got to buy food, Miss Scott said, we got to pay the rent, the house note, And there's more. That you may have something to give him who has need. Ephesians 4.28. That's Paul's desire for the believers there. It's not work. Work so that you may have plenty. And in one place, I think it's in, uh, first, I think it's in Thessalonians where he says so that you, so that you don't lack anything. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't say work so that you don't lack anything, so that you have plenty, and so that you have plenty of toys and plenty of entertainment. No, he says, and so that you can supply someone else's need. Work is is God-ordained for our own benefit. In other words, so that... uh, God's way of providing for us so that we have what we need, so that we provide for our our own, ourself, those of our household. Paul, again, in Thessalonians, uh, instructs him, says, if any man want work, if he won't provide for himself, then don't let him eat. If, if he's not doing everything he can do to, to make his own way, then don't let him eat. Hard, isn't it? But that's how important work is. So you do it to provide for yourself and to provide for others who have need. In other words, God blesses with excess so that we can help others. The truly destitute, like like the widows here, or like those who need to hear the gospel, or those in our community who uh, just don't have enough. Maybe they are doing everything they can and they still... Uh, need help with food and clothes or or whatever the case may be. You work to supply your own need and to supply the needs of others and then ultimately for the glory of God so that the name of God and His doctrine may not be blasphemed. You work and you do it heartily. You honor your employer you work as as if you were doing it for God Himself rather than as if you were doing it for men. And you do all of that to provide for your needs, to provide for the needs of others, and so that ultimately 
God is glorified rather than blasphemed. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and thank You for, uh, Lord, these precious truths and these privileges that You've given us as being created in Your image, Lord. You've made us to reflect Your character, Your attributes. Lord, we pray um, by the power of Your Spirit dwelling in us, that You work these things out in us, teach us how to do what we need to do, give us understanding of Your Word, so that people in the world do look at us and see You, see the reality of You, so that You are honored and glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.